Good morning, everybody. Let's pray God's blessing over the offering. Uh, Lord, thank you so much um, for how good you are to us, Lord. You are the everlasting God, Lord, and, and Lord, we want you to reign mightily in our lives, Lord. Um, Lord, thank you for blessing us with everything, Lord, with life, Lord. You woke us up this morning to give you praise, Lord. And, and as we give, Lord, we give towards the advancement of your kingdom that more people would know the name of Jesus Christ, that they would give you all the honor and the praise and the glory that you deserve, Lord. And they can share within us, Lord, uh, your, the grace and mercy, Lord, that you pour upon us abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Prayer service will be held tonight, as usual, at 5 p.m. here in the sanctuary. The prayer focus tonight will be on personal discipleship. So please come out and pray with us um, about that. The men's prayer group will be held tomorrow, Monday, April 24th, um, as it normally is on uh, Monday uh, evenings. Please see Pastor Stanley John for more details. Please join us on Wednesday, April 26th for a midweek Bible study. As we study, we're studying 1 Kings verse by verse. To watch the live stream or recording of the message, you can go to our website. That's ccwordoflife.org and then click the word. The live stream will start after the worship. Forever mentored. A boys group will be meeting this Thursday, April the 27th at 7 p.m. The next Women's Fellowship will be held Friday, April 28th at 7.30 p.m. Please see Sarah Darden if you have any questions in regards to the Women's Fellowship. The Broad Street Run will take place uh, Sunday, April 30th. That's next Sunday. Please be mindful of street closures and traffic adjustments. Communion and family night will be held on Friday, May 12th at 7.30 p.m. Please see Raquel Ocasio if you can bring a covered dish. All prayer requests may be sent to our website. Again, that's ccwordoflife.org, then click prayer or submit your prayer request in a prayer box in the sanctuary. You may support the church financially in these ways. You can do it in person with the offering boxes that are posted on either side of the sanctuary. You can text the word give, that's G-I-V-E to the number 215-515-6552. You can send your checks to our PO box 30750 Philadelphia, PA, 19104. You can also uh, give through our website by clicking the tab, Giving. For all these announcements, you can go to our website and just click the link that says Updates. At this time, we ask you to please silence all of your electronic devices and open up your Bibles or your Bible apps. We're starting a new book today, the book of Mark. We're studying chapter one, and we're going through verses one through 13 with Pastor Mark this morning. Amen. All righty. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you. Lord, we get a chance to study your word, Lord, and we get a chance to worship you, Lord, as so many around this world would love to come to a place and sit and worship and without persecution and without, Lord, um, distractions, Lord, um, their life being threatened, and Lord, we're privileged, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we get a chance to Go through your word, Lord, but Lord, hear your voice in it. Let it speak to us louder than anything else, Lord. We see the world we live in. We pray for those in authority. We pray for a president. We pray for the governor, the mayor of the city, Lord, those who are in authority. Lord, pray, Lord, that you would um, give them wisdom. Lord, pray for repentance of our nation, too, Lord. Pray for revival in our nation, Lord. We need a the church needs to be revived, Lord. We, we need, Lord, a, a fresh filling of your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would um, walk with us through this book, Lord, through these chapters and these verses. And so, Lord, I pray you would be with us and let your word be magnified. Let it be exalted even above your name. You sit as settled in heaven. Let it settle in our hearts. And as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, and my strength and my Redeemer, I do pray in your great and mighty name, Lord, we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with us to Mark chapter 1. I'll read down to verse, I'll stop at verse 13. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one mightier, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descended upon him, descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. This is Mark's gospel. You know, you got the gospels, you got the synoptic gospels, which would be Mark... Matthew and Luke, 
you know, they all go together in the chronological order. Matthew's first in the, in the New Testament, then Mark, then Luke, then John. You know, technically Mark probably should have been Mark, you know, Luke, Matthew, or Mark, Matthew, Luke. But Mark should have probably been first because more than likely it was probably the first gospel written. Some say at least, you know, if we see that, you know, Matthew, I mean, not Matthew, Mark, rather, Mark chapter 13, verse 2, most scholars believe that during that particular time, the, the, um, the reference of the, to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, it didn't happen yet. So some believe that Mark's gospel was more than likely written before the destruction of the temple. So some say around A.D. 65, some say A.D. 68, and some, you know, some things I read. Some say as late as A.D. 75, but I'm not sure if, if that's right. But some say that. But we do know that he's the first gospel. Matthew probably borrowed from him. Luke borrowed from him. They borrowed from him. Over 90% of Mark's gospel is borrowed by Matthew. You know, he borrows a lot of it. About 50% borrowed by Luke. So we know that both of these other writers use Mark as a reference to some degree. They use this man named Mark. So Mark is the first gospel. 16 chapters. You can read it real quick. It's only 678 verses and it's 14,949 words. If you don't believe me, go home and recount them. You know. So his gospel is a quick gospel. In, in this gospel, there's no reference to John Mark being the, the author of this gospel. But all scholars that we read agree that he was the writer of this gospel, possibly narrated to John Mark by Peter. Possibly by Peter. You know, John Mark, you know, his name is John Mark. Mark was his surname, probably his Greek name or something. Surnames or, or family name or last name. A surname is like the portion of a personal name that donates personal family. Or sometimes in like various cultures, a surname in particular was the same surname of the entire family. So it would be Michael Mark, Johnny Mark, Mickey Mark, Tito Mark, all the Marks, you know. So Mark, you know, we say, well, who is this Mark? You know, he's mentioned about in eight different places in the Bible. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, his mother's house. John Mark had a mom named Mary. We know that. You know, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 12, 25. He's mentioned in Acts of course, chapter 15, verse 37 and 39, he's mentioned in 1 Peter, chapter 5, um, verse 13. He's mentioned in Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24. He's also mentioned in Colossians, chapter 4, verse 10. And he's mentioned in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11. So he's mentioned through the Bible a number of times. Barnabas was his cousin. We know that because Barnabas was mentioned among John Mark, his cousin, in Colossians 4.10. So Barnabas was his cousin. Some may believe that John Mark may have been a Levite. He could have been, has some Le Levitical blood in him. You know, 
We know that Barnabas' cousin, when you read Acts chapter 4, I think it's verse 36, Barnabas is called the Levite. He's called the Levite. So somewhere John Mark may have been, you know, um, a, a, a Levite. You know, Hippolytus, a church writer of the beginning, uh, beginning of the third century, who lived in Rome, said that John Mark nickname was stumped fingered or Mark of the Short Finger. That's what he called them. You know, Jerome's Vulgate stated that after John Mark was converted to Christ, he amputated one of his fingers in order to disqualify himself from being in the Jewish priesthood. So he may have been a Levite. We don't know. We don't know. Tradition says that he was impaled, you know, tied to a chariot, driven and until all his bones was broken off of his body, he was considered the first bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, but he was martyred in A.D. 68, they say. So this is John Mark. You know, all of his remains was moved to Venice where a great church was built in honor of John Mark, St. Mark, the Church of Mark. And so John Mark was an interesting guy. You know, he runs out of his clothes, you know, different things. He, he doesn't mention who he was, but he says the, the one that ran out of his clothes and so forth. He's an interesting character, but we know that his mom was a believer. We know that much. His mom was a believer. They may have lived in a big house. It depends on some people. Well, it was a big house. We don't know that they had a prayer meeting at his house when Peter was in prison. So John Mark knew Peter. John Mark also was the one who traveled. You remember he traveled with Barnabas and Paul. And they had a great dispute over this guy. You know, he left them in Pamphylia. And went back home. I guess he got mad. He got out there. They didn't have no Jerusalem Burger Kings, no Jerusalem Pizza Huts. He said, I'm out of here. And so he left. And But somehow he gets back in the ministry. You know, Paul says, send for John Mark. He's profitable for the ministry towards the end of Paul's life. And so somewhere he's been restored. Somewhere he's been restored. And so his gospel is like one of these gospels you would read almost like somebody taking snapshots. Because he'll use the word straightway 19 times. He'll use the word immediately 17 times. And he does not begin with a genealogy of the Lord like Matthew or, or, you know, or, or a history of his infancy like Luke does. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't go back. He just starts writing. He's like, well, what in the world? And he desires, his desire is to portray Christ, uh, you know, in the fullness as the servant savior. The servant savior, you know, because one of the keynote verses in all of Mark gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when it says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so John Mark shows Jesus as this servant. We'll see him feeding the 5,000. We'll see him heal the one with the issues of blood. We'll see him with the man in the tomb of Gadara. You know, we'll see him with Jairus' daughter. We'll see all these little snapshots. Peter's mom, her fever, and, you know, you'll see different things. So this is John's Mark account of Jesus Christ. And that's pretty concise because we could go on for a long time and just talk about the introduction of this particular gospel, but I won't bore you with such matters. Unless you're interested, see me at the church, you know. So verse 1, he says, look what he starts of his, his gospel with. The beginning... Of the gospel of Jesus Christ, notice what he says, the Son of God. 
Matthew says that, you know, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he says, the son of God, the son of God. And he says, gospel, you know, you got the new King James gospel mentioned 101 times, King James, the original 98 times, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He starts off his gospel with, he said, hey, let me tell you, let's write, let's write a gospel. Let me tell you what this gospel is about. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about who he is, the beginning of his ministry and his life and his burial, you know, his crucifixion and burial and resurrection, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? The beginning of the gospel of Christ. And he says, the son of God. He didn't say, well, you know, well, some people say he's the son of God. Who do men say that I am? And none of that. He says, no, the son of God. And if Peter narrated this to him, it's interesting because Peter was the one when Christ says that, you know, who do men say that I am? Peter says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ is Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed to see, but my father is in heaven. So if Peter narrated this gospel to John Mark, he says, John, listen, write this down, John. He's the gospel. He's the son of God. Amen? Amen. He is a son of God. It's no dispute. Not like the Quran says, Allah forbid that he would beget a son. Here it says he is the son of the living God. He's the son of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would say, you don't have to turn to this, but Paul says something real interesting when he writes to the church in Corinth. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes something really interesting when he says, Moreover, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. He says the gospel is what saved you. You know, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God into salvation. He told the church in Corinth, he says, the gospel that I preach to you, which you also receive in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and on the third day rose um, from the dead according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, Cephas, is an Aramaic name for Peter, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some had fallen asleep. And he says, and James, who was the Lord's brother, you know, it's interesting that Paul says, that's the gospel, that Christ was crucified and that he was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. You say, well, I want to share the gospel with somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll share the gospel with you. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead for the sin of the world. That's the gospel. Well, well what else you got to add to it? Nothing. Paul said, if we preach another gospel, he says, even if I or angel from heaven preach another gospel, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. And he wrote the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia. So it's the gospel, I like the beginning of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And most people say, I want to share the gospel with somebody. Well, I'm going to say, here's the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. 
<laughs> it's the gospel. Well, I got to say something clever so they can really get it. And then, you know, they, I got to come from another angle. I got, no, no, there's no another angle. No, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by the Son. And do you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he was buried and on the third day that he died for your sins? Do you believe that Paul said he preached that gospel and they got saved from it? We live in a world today where there's another gospel that is a friendly gospel or some other. No, no, no. Sinners get saved from the preaching of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God. It's the dunamis power of God. I'm not ashamed of it. The gospel starts and finishes with Jesus Christ. It is good news, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And it says, as it is written in the prophets, verse 2. Notice it says prophets, plural. Speaking namely of Isaiah to Malachi. It says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This is found in Malachi 1.3. It's longer. That's a portion of it, not the whole verse, but Malachi 3.1, rather. This verse is found. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Malachi 3.1. You know, John is the only prophet who was prophesied of before he came, John the Baptist. He's the only prophet that was, he was prophesied of coming on the scene. And in the next verse, it says, look, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's Isaiah wrote that in Isaiah chapter 40, when he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And here, both prophets, you got Malachi, because you start off with, look, the prophets, the first prophetic book is Isaiah. The last book of the prophets is Malachi. So it goes from Isaiah says that, hey, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare, ye, prepare your way before you. And then you have Isaiah saying, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you have both of these prophets, one speaking of, you know, the John, you know, you know, who will prepare your way before you. One crime, prepare the way of the Lord, make ways straight. And he's speaking in the context of the Jewish culture of a best man. The best man in the wedding of the groom. He would make sure that all the roast was clean and clear before the, you know, the, the, the groom came for his bride. He would prepare the way. And that's why it's interesting that John's ministry, it almost dies out as soon as Christ's public ministry starts because he was the best man. You can't have the best man and the groom married to the same bride. I, I mean, in this culture, maybe you can, I don't know. But in this culture, the best man would be the one that prepared the way for the groom. The groom is the Lord and the bride is us, the church, his church. Prepare you the way of the Lord. 
Make his path straight. Nothing should be in the way of the Lord's coming. All obstacles, anything that would encumber or anything that would infuse something that would detour the coming of the Lord or anything that would, you know, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, you know, under the law, Galatians 4.4. 4. Christ came at a certain time. John the Baptist was raised up at a certain time. He was raised up at a certain time. John, he comes on the scene. You know, his parents, they were barren. Elizabeth was barren. She has this son. You know, when Mary goes to visit her relative or cousin Elizabeth, the baby jumps in the wound and so forth. And here he comes. He's here, John the Baptist. And that's why Mark goes right into saying John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The remission of sins. Remission is the word that means the putting away of. The putting away of. You know, remember the right in Hebrews, he writes about remission. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, when the writer writes, he says that, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And then he goes on to say, without shedding the blood, there is no putting away or no remission. There's no remission. The word of remission means to, to put away, the putting away of. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for our sins. There's no putting away of sins. Christ died, shared his, you know, shed his own blood. You know, a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then it says, John came baptizing the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea, notice this verse, it's a real important verse, and I think it's a good verse. Then all the land of Judea, this must have been a great number of people, and all those from Jerusalem went out to him. And speaking of John, now this is interesting because he didn't send out a flyer. They didn't have Instagram, they didn't have YouTube page, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have, you know, radio. They all came to John. You know you caught if they all come to you. You got to be called. He didn't have Christian radio. For somebody said, well, let me see what, man, let me see what John preaching today. Oh, man, yeah, man, you better go down that church with John at, man. You got there, it was just the river and him preaching repentance. And about Christ. And, and you got baptized if you really wanted to repent. You're getting baptized. You got baptized there. And he says, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him. Speaking of John. And you got to realize, John had never, never in John's public ministry did he perform any miracles. Not one miracle did he perform. Not one went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River. Notice, confessing their sins. Because the problem was that the nation of Israel wanted a Messiah that would rescue them from Roman power and Roman government where they had a sin problem that needed to be dealt with first. They had a sin problem. That was their problem. That's the problem with the world, a sin problem. He's always oh, a pandemic. Yeah, we have one. A sin pandemic. Yes. And they went out in the Jordan River confessing. It's the word. It's, it's exolamagea, lagio, you know, it's the same word we get the word, you know, homologea from, but it's ek, ek, 
Ek hamalagea is the same word. It comes from that word. But here is not the same word in word in regards to this. This word speaks more of confess it out loud, hold heartily. You're saying it out loud. They wasn't saying it, oh, yeah, Lord, or by yourself somewhere. This wasn't like if you said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hamalagea, the word in John, when he writes First John, that word is a confession that means like you confess it between you and God essentially. But here, this word is not saying you confess it between. This is more public. You know, this is acknowledging they can openly declaring. Could you imagine that? I'm, I'm a sinner. Yeah, baptize me, John. I'm going to come down. I want to get, I'm, I'm dirty, man. Baptize me. And Jews didn't get baptized. Gentiles got baptized. If you wanted to become a Jew, you got baptized. Became a proselyte. Jews didn't get baptized. And here they come in from the region of Judea, not Galilee. He says, Jerusalem. These are Jews coming to get baptized. Realizing their sinfulness. Isn't that something? Confessing their sins. What was this like? You imagine, see, John out there, his beard probably down to his ankle, knees, or chest. And, you know, and he probably got a weird-looking stuff on, and, and he's out there, and people coming from everywhere. And we, if we seen John today, we said, that dude's crazy. Remember this dude used to walk through the streets with the big cross? And we'd be like, man, that dude's crazy. And we, it was a lady that used to be on the subway all the time with all these, you know, these big signs. And, and I remember talking to her one day. They had the parade downtown. It was the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I remember talking to her one day. I said, why do you go from bus to bus and subway to subway with these big signs and all you saying, repent, repent. She said, you don't understand, young man. I was on my deathbed dying from cancer, and the Lord healed me. And I promised the Lord, if he ever raised me up, I would preach the gospel until I die. And sometimes we got to almost be dead to preach the gospel when God says, no, I want you to be alive and preach the gospel now. I'll do it if I get the opportunity. What opportunity? Every day is the opportunity. I'll do it if I have enough people go street witnessing with me. Why? I'll do it if I have a team and I need more training. Oh, well, I went to the seminar and I did this. And, man, they show me all kinds of ways to share Jesus. And then about two weeks thing gone by, you ain't telling nobody nothing about Jesus. But you got the training, got the certificate on your wall. And John wasn't like that. John was not satisfied with just, you know, you know being there and just, I'm doing some bad. You know, people were, he was preaching about Jesus and repentance. And it says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. Notice, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He ate locusts. What a diet. Maybe he dressed similar to the prophet of Elijah. Remember Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, how he looked. Luke said that when Luke writes his gospel, Luke says that when John the Baptist would be born, that John the Baptist, he says that he will also go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This would be John the Baptist's ministry. He came in the power of Elijah. Elijah. 
And he ate locusts and wild honey. Could you imagine a leg hanging out of his mouth? I was looking at this thing the other day, and they were eating. I don't know what they were, but I would never eat them. They were like, they looked like a centipede, but it wasn't a centipede. And it was crawling. They put this stuff on them, and the guys just say, and you could hear that crunch. I'm like, help me, Lord. <laughs> that sounds good, don't it? <laughs> you see, some people see roaches, they jump out the window. A roach, run. <laughs> He's eating, he ate locusts and wild honey. And notice this is, and he preached, this word is hurl, is caruso, proclaim, saying, there comes one, speaking of Christ, after me who is mightier than I. And how many of us could say, call someone mighty or greater than ourselves? How many of us would say, you know what, there's a guy that's coming to do this ten times better than me. Ten, ten, man, I thought I could preach her, I thought I could teach her. Ten times better. Most of us would never say somebody was better than us. You know, Christ, Christ made himself of no reputation, taken on the form of a bondservant. Who of us would say, oh, you know, man, this guy's coming. He's way greater than I am. No, we would think, oh, man, look, this is my ministry. This is my call. I'm look, man, don't you mess with my ministry, man. Look, I'm the greatest teacher of all time. That's how carnal we are. He says that saying, there comes one. He didn't say a bunch, but there's one after me who is mightier than I and look how he estimates himself, you know, in, in regards to Christ. He gives the estimation of himself. Whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. All the Gospels, including Acts, include this. Matthew said that I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And he says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew said, I'm not worthy to carry it. Luke says that John answered saying to all, because they were asking him, are you the Christ? He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts chapter 13, verse 25, it says, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. Look, the apostle John, he writes it, and he was not even one of the synoptic gospels. John writes in, for, in John's gospel, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in, in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John said, I'm not, no, I'm not nobody like that. I'm just preparing the way for the one who's mightier than me. Whenever you're in ministry and you start thinking that, you know, you there, because look, you don't know how long it lasts. You know we could be gone tomorrow and somebody say, man, that guy was preaching Sunday, gone. We always preparing the way for somebody else, whether you know it or not. Do y'all realize that? Whether you like it or not. 
You are always preparing a way. If somebody's going to come after me when I'm gone and something's been paved here, I don't know what exactly has been paid for him, but he'll come and he'll do something different or whatever. I don't know. You know, when all the prophets was taken off the scene, they prepared something else for God to do for the next thing. It's always, we always preparing something, and you don't even know it. John knew that he was. That's the difference. John knew that he was only preparing the way. We really don't know that most of the time. And John says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about not the spirit that Jesus breathed on the apostles. He's talking about the spirit that came upon, epi, upon, upi, upon the apostles. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, they, were, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. At Pentecost, remember in Acts when Luke wrote, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, meaning Christ, said, you have heard from me, for truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then you get to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. They didn't say it was a rushing mighty wind. They said like, like tongues of fire. That's the best way the writer could describe what happened. And it was this phenomenon that happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them. You know, people was understanding each other's languages. And it was just something that happened that was unbelievable. And they were all believers who were baptized with the Holy Spirit. All those in the upper room believed that Jesus was who he was. And they were baptized. And John says, let me tell you something. I'm only baptizing you with water. And verse 9 said, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth means watchtower. It was about three miles southwest of Gath Hefer, the hometown of the prophet Jonah, you know, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John, their cousins, in the Jordan. This is the same river that the Lord opened for Israel to cross over in Joshua 3.16. It's the same river, the same Jordan River. This is also the same river that the prophet Elijah told Naaman the Syrian to wash seven times and he would be cleansed of his leprosy in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. It's the same Jordan River here. Here's the Jordan River and Christ would be baptized in the Jordan River. He would be baptized by his cousin, his relative, you know. Elizabeth and Mary was cousins. We know that because of Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And so John would baptize Jesus. And he says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. When he saw Christ coming, and he says, whoa, behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. The one who you see with the spirits descend and remains, that's the one you baptize, John. And it's interesting that in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Could you imagine what was that like for John? And it says, and immediately, King James would say straightway here, a word that's anon, it's from the word anon, it means, you know, shortly, straight after, 
forthwith, those kind of words we don't use too much anymore, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw, notice, this is Christ, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, descending upon him like a dove. Now this is interesting because people say, well, the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. Did the Spirit come upon Christ in that way? This word is not epi here. This word is ice in the Greek. This is not epi. The Spirit, the word ice means to come upon, to penetrate. This is a different word. It's not the word epi, apai. It came upon the, you know, the apostle. But here is the word, you know, Mark uses this word ice is mentioned about 1,774 times in the Bible. 167 times is used in the New Testament. Mark uses it 12 times in this first chapter alone. And, and it means into or unto, motion into which implying penetration and union with, in the words, it's, to, it's for a particular purpose or result, the Spirit ascending, descending rather, upon Christ, like, not was, but like a dove, like a dove, like a dove, then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is God the Father. You got Jesus being baptized. You got the spirit descending upon him, penetrating him in a sense. And then you have the Father. This is the Trinity, right? Somebody said, well, where is the Trinity in the Bible? So, well, read Mark chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. That is the Trinity. Jesus, the spirit, and God the Father. And you would say, well, how in the world could Jesus ever, you know, well, how could he say that you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? He never performed a miracle at this point. He didn't do anything. The only record we have of Christ prior to this is by Luke in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 through 49, when he's there, you know, and his family thought they lost him. And he's in the temple area talking to the scholars and the teachers, and they were astonished at his understanding and the questions that he asked. That's the only time we hear of Jesus' boyhood, childhood, around 12 years old. Other than that, this is his public ministry. This is in, uh, his inauguration into the ministry. And it's interesting that it says, a voice came from heaven and says, you are my beloved son. It's emphatic. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The grammar implies whom I'm already well pleased. Well, what was he well pleased with? Well, Jesus was a carpenter, I'm sure. That's why he wrote about, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He made yokes. When he says, I am the door, in John's Gospel, chapter 10, I'm the door. He knew about doors. He knew about yokes. He made, he was a carpenter. And could you imagine being Christ, you the king of the world, and you in a carpenter's shop with a plane? And I'm sure if you bought a door from him, you had the best door ever. If you bought a table from Jesus, it was a perfect table. And could you just imagine he's in this workshop and the Lord says, no. Some guys got jobs. They do like construction work or they drive trucks or they do this. And he, Look, that's just as holy as somebody getting up every day saying, I'm in full-time ministry. I got to go to church. Look, full-time ministry is getting up every day and being around people and being a light. That's full-time ministry. People say, well, I'm in full-time ministry. Well, all of us are in full-time ministry. We live in this dirty world. It didn't say, let your light so shine before men if you're in full-time ministry. That's for everybody. 
well, I want to be in full-time ministry. Well, what does that really mean? If you're not doing it now, and even if you get there, you ain't going to understand what it really means. Your life is full-time ministry. Do you understand that? And some of y'all got good-paying jobs, and they pay you for it. You still get paid. It just comes from, you know, the pagan world. And you just get, that's why I say don't quit your job. You get paid to get trained. You're getting trained, and you're there, and you can preach the gospel. And here, a voice came from heaven says, I'm well pleased. Well pleased with what? He didn't do a miracle yet. He didn't do anything yet public. How could he be already well pleased with him? Because we think God is pleased with what we do. We think on the other side, after we get saved, we saved by grace. Now we live by works and God gets pleased by our works. That's not how that works. We're saved by grace and grace alone. That's it. That is it. We think the more we do, the more God will be pleased with us. That's not true. Do you know that you look, you can work until you go, your bones get dry. And the next person there sitting on his feet in some room praying for hours. And Jesus is saying, oh, that person shows the better part. They're sitting before me and before my throne and before my feet. It's not how it works. We do work because we love the Lord. But we don't work to get credit from the Lord or something like that. Because if that was the case, works would have something to do with our salvation, and it doesn't. But you do work because you have faith in God. I'll show you my faith by my works, James said. You do, but that, on the other side of our salvation, it's not like you work hard and you earn more merit from God. It don't work like that. Jesus didn't do nothing. He says, I'm already well pleased with you. We should be saying, hallelujah, shoot, that's some relief. Because I thought whatever I did was something that had something to do with, you know, if I did more stuff. Because Paul says, have we begun in the flesh and been made perfected? You know, begun in the spirit and made perfected in the flesh, he says. In Galatians 3.3, 3, have we begun in the spirit now and being made perfected in the flesh? Most people think they can be perfected by the flesh. Their accomplishments, how well they teach, how well they do this, or how well they do that, they think that's their accomplishments. The things we do is not our accomplishments. Our obedience to Christ, our love for Christ is more important than what we do. That's the most important thing. Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love him? And if you love him, the gospel will be lived out in your life. If you love Jesus... And then if he be lifted up, he'll draw people to himself. That's how you know you're living it out, because people are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. They came to John the Baptist. He didn't invite nobody there. They were drawn there. They were drawn there. And the Spirit came upon them, and it says in verse, you know, 12, immediately the Spirit drove. King James says, driveth drove him into the wilderness, and he was there 40 days and, you know, and 40 days tempted by the devil. That's nice. And with the wild beasts, we don't know exactly what kind of beasts they were, but they were wild. If I see the word wild in front of beasts, it ain't good. And the angels ministered to him. Matthew gives us more detail about that. It says that Matthew says that when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. You know, at your weakest point, that's when the devil come after you. And when the tempter came to him, the devil came to Christ after he was hungry. 
He said he was hungry, I'm sure weak. He didn't eat anything. Says the tempter came to him and said, if the class condition is since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus looked at Satan and loved, and look, as a human being, not as, not as divine or nothing, just in his humanness. He used the word of the living God to have victory over the devil. And he looked at Satan and said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pentacle of the temple and said to him, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And he's misquoting the verse. He shall give his angels charge over you and into their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to Satan again, it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord to God. And then Satan took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine that. And all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus looked at Satan and said, it is written, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord to God and him only shall you serve then the devil left them, and behold, angels, that's where Mark picks it up, and angels came and ministered to him. Could you imagine that? You get baptized. You're excited, you're inviting all your family to come see you get baptized. Hey, I'm getting baptized. The minute you get done, boom, driven right into the wilderness of life. In that old dirty world we live in and all the things that it tries to incite us with and tempt us with and try to discourage us with. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine Christ? Here we go, the son of the living God, and God is already well pleased with him. Could you imagine Christ coming on the scene, John seeing him, and this is prepare you the way of the Lord. He says, I'm just the one in the wilderness crying out, here's the Lord, he's coming, I'm nobody. He's mightier than I. I'm not worthy to loose down and unstrap his sandals. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. Servants may have carried sandals. He's, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And we're not neither. And we're not neither. We're not neither. We should be the ones, no, Lord, here, no. You must increase and I must. I have to decrease. And Christ is looking for people who's willing to decrease. Not the prideful people who always think that, oh, the Lord, if, if he only used me, the world would really change. Oh, if I, if I only got behind that podium, man, I tell you, whew, you ever heard me teach? You ain't hearing nobody teaching. Oh, man, whoo. God don't need nobody like that. He needs the people to say, I'm not even worthy. Not even worthy to be here. I'm not worthy. I'm just clay. That's all I am is clay. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I'm nobody. He needs people to realize who they really are. And that's when the gospel starts reaching people. When people start being hidden in Christ. And they say, oh, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not my gospel. Oh, you have somebody got, they got their shows, the Bobby Jones gospel or this person's job. What? Bobby Jones gospel? What gospel? What? How can he have a gospel? There's only one gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Paul Piper's gospel show or something. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Gospel 100. And, you know. No, there's one gospel. 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you got to know that when you wake up in the morning and say, you know, one of the old guys of old said he preached to himself every day. He's just reminded every day, like it was the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved me. There was nothing I brought to the table. Do you realize that this morning? God can use your life if you're willing to say, Lord, I ain't nobody. He will use your life. Anybody in the Bible you've seen called, none of them say, I can't wait, Lord. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. None of them. They said, no, I'll send somebody else. Lord, no, I know. No, no, don't send me. I can't speak. I stutter. I mean, Moses said, I stutter. The Lord said, really big deal. You don't want I want. Jeremiah, I'm too young, Lord. I am too young. No, you, you in. David, I'm not even in the lineup. Oh, you know, I'm going to use you. That's what God uses. Those who realize they're not qualified. And the person I think they qualify, what happens is they do it for so long and they lose the gospel and all of it. And God forbid that somebody started plotting them and say how great you are. God forbid. Because you are like almost fair game for Satan. He loves that. He loves that. He loves that. He loves to say, oh, you are so great. Look at that. Look at how great you are. He loves that. He loves that. He loves that person. Jesus says, no, 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 this written man should not live by bread alone. I love when Mark says the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand up as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all the things you give us. Things we don't know. Lord, we are not worthy to carry your sandals, Lord. We're not worthy. We're not worthy to stoop down and loose them. But, Lord, you are the one who were, was made to, to be sin for us, Lord. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So we want the word of God, Lord, to be exercised in our lives. Lord, in such a way, Lord, never let us think we're something we're not, but, Lord, that we would be at a place we could always be down looking upward, Lord, not up looking downward at people. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, have mercy on us. What you said, you won't give your glory to another, Lord. We don't want to steal anything from you that's yours, Lord. We want you to bring glory through our lives, Lord, that we will let our light so shine before men that they could see our good deeds. And you would get glory, Father. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord. Anoint us for your work, but keep us humble, Lord. We can see all the people we'll reach when we get to where we're going, hundreds upon hundreds. But Lord, let us realize there's nothing we did. It's your hand preparing hearts before we even walk in the place. So we love you. We honor you. We praise your good name. We do say amen in Jesus' name. Amen.